0: Before we get into today's episode, I want to share with you a song off of my brand new album called Speak to the Mountains. This is a fantastic album that Sadie, my wife, and I recorded together. And if you love what you hear, then I want to invite you to my website, AwakenedToGrace.com, where you can order it for yourself or for a friend. Check it out today at AwakenedToGrace.com com i hope you enjoy this song right before today's sermon why
1: would i work When giants come calling my name, my God is so much bigger than troubles I face. Why would I hunger for power or riches or fame? god is so much better than all of these things i won't be shaken i won't be moved because my god God is bigger, better, stronger, greater than you. My enemies scatter, cause they know the battle is done. My God is stronger, the victory's already won. For my ransom and rose up on the third day. Because my God is greater. So I'll speak to the mountain. It's time to move. My God is big. he doesn't already know there's no problem too big there's no weapon too strong there is nothing for god that's impossible there's no mountain too high no valley too low there's no fear that i have he doesn't already know there's no problem too big there's strong there is nothing for God that's impossible
0: Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and I'm your Bible teacher today as we continue walking through the book of Hebrews, and today we are calling it Christ the Source. Let me ask you this question, my friends. What is the source of your salvation? Is it yourself? Is it your good intentions? Is it your religion or some religious experience? Or is the source of your eternal salvation Christ and Christ alone that's what the author of Hebrews wanted to say to his audience and that's what the Holy Spirit wants to say to this generation to our culture today for the Word of God is eternal well I hope you enjoy today's episode as we examine why Christ is the source of eternal salvation Christ alone Hebrews chapter 5, I just want to call your attention to a few things regarding the priesthood of Christ. Last week, we called it confidence in Christ, and we were introduced at the end of chapter 4. We were introduced to Christ becoming not just our high priest, but our great high priest. And when it comes to the three offices of Christ, which is prophet, priest, and king, of those three, there is only one that he is called the great, and that is high priest. Because it is a remarkable thing that Christ has done on our behalf. I want to show you just a little bit of that today. So last week we called it Confidence in Christ. We saw that he is, we saw all the way back in chapter two that he is a merciful and faithful high priest. That was the first introduction to him becoming our high priest. And then we saw last week how he is not a priest that is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in every respect tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. So, what is the great invitation? So then let us come before his throne boldly with confidence to find mercy and to find grace to help in our time of need. That's the way that Christ serves us and loves us and helps us. My goodness, when they were singing, when the worship team was singing, uh, uh, oh, what's that? What's that? So my God, my God, I need you. What's the name of that song? Same God. God. Oh, I could feel God answering prayers today. Could you feel that? I could feel God responding to the cries of his people. Were you like me and you were crying out to God today? And I could feel God giving help from heaven. Why? Because he ever lives to make intercession on our behalf. He is our great high priest. And so when we come to where we are in the book of Hebrews, we see that the author of Hebrews is making a tremendous argument that Christianity has indeed replaced Judaism. That indeed what were the shadows is now the reality in Christ. That God, by a means of grace, for the sins of his people instituted the Levitical priesthood so that priests could go to God on behalf of man and on behalf of our sins and find forgiveness and find grace. But now the great high priest has come. And now what were the shadows... Christ is now the reality. What was necessity is now obsolete. And now, today, there is no need for priest. Oh, can we thank God for that today? There is no need for priest today. And why is that? Because Christ Himself is our great high priest and we can approach him and we can go to him at any time, at any moment with our needs. And he is our advocate with the father. No longer do you and I need man to go to God for us. We go directly to him. Amen. So in verses one, two, and three, You have to understand, this is a Jewish audience. He's writing to Hebrews. He's writing to people who grew up taking their lamb to temple once a year for the Day of Atonement. He's writing to people who understand grain sacrifices and burnt sacrifices and guilt sacrifices and all of this Levitical system set up by God as a means of grace, but now it's all being done away with. And very shortly, at the time of this writing... The temple is going to be destroyed in 70 AD and Judaism will no longer have priests, no longer have animal sacrifices. And God is preparing his people for this great transition with the book of Hebrews. So in verses 1, 2, and 3, he explains what are the, what, what, let's say it this way, what is the calling of priests and what are the qualifications of a priest? Under the Levitical system, you could not aspire to become a priest. You did not go to Hebrew high school, and on career day, they offer priesthood. And you go, well, I think I'd like to try that. If you were not born into the tribe of Levi, Levi, you were disqualified. You had to be called by God to be a high priest. You had to be of the Levite tribe to even be a priest. So not anyone could do it. You had to be called. You had to be appointed. And he explains the qualifications and why God set it up the way that he did in verses 1, 2, and 3. In verse 4, he explains... You must be appointed by God. You have to be given God's authority to do that. In our world today, in our church world today, it is the same. Someone cannot call themselves to ministry. They must be appointed by God. At this church, we say we do not call people to ministry. We simply recognize the call of God upon their life. And remember what the author is doing. He is comparing Christ to everything in Judaism systematically. And so what have we seen so far through the book of Hebrews? We see that Christ is better than the prophets. We see that Christ is better than the angels. We see that Christ is better than Moses. We see that Christ is better than Joshua. And now in verse 4, the author continues on and says Christ is better than Aaron. Do you remember how Aaron was called by God in Numbers chapter 17? Moses was told to take a staff from every head of every tribe, every chief who is in charge of all 12 tribes of Israel, take his staff and write his name upon the staff and collect all 12. Moses did as God commanded. Moses carries 12 staffs into the tent of meeting with the Lord and the Lord said, deposit the staffs in the tent and the staff that blossoms is who I have called. It was Aaron's staff That budded. Scripture says that it flourished, that petals appeared upon it. Fresh almonds appeared upon it. Moses then takes all of the staffs back to each man, and they examine them, and only one had flourished. That's who was called by God. There is a spiritual principle in there. If someone feels that they are called by God to ministry, do you know what the marking should be? Spiritual fruit. The marking should be a flourishing of spiritual fruit in your life and in your calling. So it may be that you feel that you are called to ministry. It may be that you feel you're called to discipleship or called to be a small group leader or called to men's ministry or women's ministry or student ministry or homeless ministry or many, many, many other facets. And let me tell you what ought to mark your life, a flourishing of spiritual fruit, amen. What a lesson that we can learn from Aaron. What a prayer to pray to God that, Lord, would you take my heart and would you take my desires and would you take the calling of God upon my life and would you bear fruit to your own glory and to your own name and to your own renown. What a prayer to pray. If you feel that you are called to ministry but there is no spiritual fruit within your life, you should reexamine your calling. If you feel like God has called you to be a leader, but you are not influencing and you are not discipling other people, you need to rethink and you need to reexamine. And you need to see if you're doing it the right way and if God has truly called you. I love what John Maxwell says. He says, if you are a leader and no one's following your lead, you're just taking a walk. That's pretty good advice. And if you were called by God to ministry, look around. Who are you discipling? Who is becoming spiritual fruit? May God give us a flourishing, a budding ministry. Can we say amen today? So the author is going to shock the Hebrews once again. And he's going to say A priest is not called by himself. He's appointed by God just as Aaron was. Now in verses 5 and 6, I told you I'm going to go fast today. Here we go. Just so Christ did not appoint himself, God appointed him. Verses 5 and 6 talk about the uniqueness of Christ's priesthood. Namely, that not only was he appointed by God, God did not search all over heaven trying to find someone to go. God did not have a massive problem and it came down to Christ. No, Christ was never plan B. He was always plan A before the foundations of the world were ever laid. Before sin ever came into the world, it was already predetermined that Christ would be the Lamb of God sacrificed at Calvary. He was always plan A. He was appointed by the Father, by God. And what is also unique about Christ, Aaron died. Every priest died. But what does verse 6 say about Christ? His priesthood is forever. Why is his priesthood forever? Because God raised him from the dead. Because he ever lives to make intercession for us. Verse 7, the author is going to say, in his days of the flesh, in other words, in his humanity, the 33 years that he walked this earth, what did he do? Well, he offered up to God prayers and supplications and God heard him because of his reverence and he cried out to God. Here's the point of verse 7 the life that Christ lived on the earth was a life of faith. You need to remember that. Jesus was not only powerful because he was the Son of God, which indeed he was, he was powerful because he prayed. And the same invitation is given to us. For what did the disciples say? Lord, teach us how to pray. And what verse 7 says is he lived a life of prayer. He lived a life of faith. Why? Because he is the perfect mediator between man and God. Verse number 8. I love this verse so much. Look what it says. Although, have you guys ever seen me go so fast? (laughs) Verse number eight. Although he was a son, he learned obedience by what he suffered. Now that is a staggering verse. Although he was a son, he learned obedience. By what he suffered. What does that mean? Now being the son of God, that's his deity. And he had nothing to learn in his deity. He had nothing to learn. But learning obedience, now follow this, was his humanity. What this means is Christ had to go through the sufferings he had to face the temptations he had to walk through the experiences of life as a man remember what we've always said we think of the sufferings of Christ only at calvary but that's not true he suffered his entire earthly life why because he humbled himself what does philippians 2 say not thinking That equality with God was a thing to be held on to, but he humbled himself being made lower than the angels. This was the suffering of his humanity. This was the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. This is God becoming Emmanuel, that he would walk through every experience of humanity and that through it he would learn Obedience. Now, we're going to link that phrase, learn obedience, to the next verse. But I'm not going to go there just yet. So keep this in your mind. Distinguish, make, make a dividing line in this verse. Although he was a son, that's his deity, he in fact is the son of God. And on earth, he was not some of God and some of man. He was 100% God as well as 100% man. Okay? That's his deity. But that he would learn obedience was his humanity through what he suffered. Now, verse 9, and I love this. Being made perfect. Oh, Chad, I thought Christ was already perfect. I thought that he lived a sinless life. Yes, you would be correct. The word perfect there means complete. Can you see the beauty of this? His deity interwoven with his humanity made the perfect and complete high priest for us. He was made Perfect, it was complete, it was lacking nothing. Now, as prophet, he could represent God to man. Now, as priest, he can represent man before God. Perfect, complete, lacking nothing. That now, watch this. Now, say amen if you're with me right now. Oh, I love this. That now, being made perfect... What is he now? He is the source of eternal salvation. He is the source of eternal salvation. You will not get salvation in a religion. You will not get salvation through a priest or a preacher. You will not get salvation through a church. You will get it only through one man, only through one place. It is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He is the source. If you enjoy my daily Bible teaching, then I know you would love the books that I have written as well. I want to invite you to check out my online store of books at awakentograce.com. You can also check out my Amazon author page where you can see all the titles I have written as well as the Kindle and Audible versions.